0: Well, good morning again. Uh, We are continuing our series looking at uh, Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, And this morning we're jumping back a little bit to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. And remember where we've been. The purpose of this sermon from Jesus is to make a community of people who are different from the world because of the Gospel in order to make a difference in the world for the Gospel Um, That's the lens through which we're to read and to hear Jesus' words this morning. Um, Jesus has been challenging his disciples in deep and in significant and in difficult ways, and today uh, it doesn't get any easier. Um, Some have argued that this passage that we're about to read here in just a few moments is the most challenging command from Jesus so far. Um, And if you're like me, um, it can be easy to hear these words from Jesus, uh, to love our enemies, to not only return Um, to not return evil for evil, but return good for evil, Um, even to those who are actively seeking to harm us, to hear that and to go, that sounds great, Jesus. Really, really great idea. Sounds really good in theory. I agree with you. That's really important for those people over there, but you don't know what I've been through. It doesn't really apply to me. Um, This morning, I want us to try to invite the Holy Spirit Uh, to do some heart surgery on us this morning, to consider that this isn't just for those people over there, but it's for each and every one of us. So please read with me Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. This is God's Word, given for His glory and for our good. You've heard it said, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us, your faithfulness to us, for your word given to us. We pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would make us attentive and humble to your word. Uh, These words from your son are difficult for us to hear. Uh, They're difficult for us to enact. Uh, We don't like them, if we're honest. Uh, Jesus, we need you to break our hearts, to help us to see your love for us, to soften us, so that we might reflect the love that we've received from you to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this week, um, surprise, surprise if you know me, I saw the new Batman movie. Um, It was awesome. It's not, I don't recommend it for anyone that is young because it was very intense. Um, But part of why I love Batman so much, he's one of my favorite superheroes, is because he isn't really a superhero, Um, he's just a normal guy. Like, he's rich and handsome, yes, but like he doesn't have any superpowers. He doesn't fly. He's not invincible. Um, He protects the weak and the hurting. That's what he sees his job as. But in this new movie, um, Batman happens upon this street gang who's about to assault this innocent man, and uh, they ask him, the street gang asks him, who are you? And Batman doesn't answer, I'm Batman, like we would expect him to, he answers, I'm vengeance. And then he goes on to take care of these bad guys um, and protect the innocent man. And if I'm honest, I let out this like, little cheer inside. Like, yeah, like, get him, Batman. Like, do your job. Um, but part of the reason Batman fights crime in Gotham is because he's, he's really working out this revenge that he's trying to get on the people that killed his parents. And so for us, the question is, why are we drawn to stories like this? I don't think I'm the only person that's kind of drawn to revenge stories. Some of you might be like, I just shut off. Kyle, whatever you're going to say right now, I'm over this. Um, but we celebrate. We, we cheer for him to get vengeance because we really understand what it means to be hurt. Uh, we understand what it means to be wrong. We get holding grudges and being filled with vengeance. We understand rehearsing wrongs. We, under, we understand rehearsing the things that we wish we could say, the things we wish we could do. We want those that hurt us, that hurt those that we love. We want them to get theirs. Um, but for us, you know, we might even try to spiritualize it and be like, you know, I'm just really interested in justice here. Um, but if we're honest, sometimes we don't really want justice. Sometimes we really just want revenge. Um, It's purely selfish, and in reality, you know, according to Jesus here, we're not acting like God at all, and we, and when we enjoy revenge and we're filled with hate and with hostility, um, we identify with, we even sometimes enjoy revenge stories, but we notice that when we let our lives become centered around revenge, um, when we let our lives become centered around getting back, we become hostile. We become filled with hate and hostility. Um, We're unselfish, just hateful shells of ourselves. You know, we're not interested in or we're not participating in spreading God's kingdom through the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy and the love of Jesus, but we're solely focused on making those that have hurt us pay for what they've done. You know, we get this struggle to to identify and to draw lines around, you know, who's worthy of my love? Who's worthy of my patience or my kindness? Um, Who's worthy of my disdain, my ignoring, my spite, um, and my revenge fantasies? What's amazing, at the end of the Batman movie, um, after living in this world centered around revenge for three hours, uh, Batman realizes that vengeance doesn't offer what it promises. It doesn't bring the satisfaction that he longs that it will. It's not really what helps people. Batman says at the end, um, this doesn't spoil anything, he says, vengeance won't change the past, mine or anyone else's. People need hope. And that's what Jesus offers us here in this passage. Jesus meets us in this place where we think vengeance is going to give us what we think we need to be satisfied. And he challenges us here. And he offers something more. He offers us life and hope and hope and love in him. So the first question, we're going to ask three questions this morning. The first question that we're going to ask is, what is Jesus responding to here in the text? Um, or to put it another way, how, how do we love? When Jesus says, um, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, he's responding to this misuse in addition to Leviticus 19 verse 8, or 18, uh, which says this, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people But love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. The Old Testament law, the entirety of scriptures, they never promote, they never call for God's people to hate their enemies. But this passage that Jesus is responding to has been twisted over the years, and so Jesus is responding to that common teaching of the day, which was essentially this, love your neighbor, love people like you, people that fit into your social, religious, ethnic, political groups, but you don't have to love people who are out to harm you. You don't have to love your enemies. And you also don't have to love anyone who's different from you. Anyone who doesn't fit in your social, religious, political, ethnic um, ways—they're in fact they're your enemies too. And you don't have to just not love them. You can in fact you can hate them. There's this conversation going on in Jesus' day about who's your neighbor. And we see Jesus enter into that conversation in Luke chapter 10 when he tells his parable of the Great Samaritan. Um, In Jesus' teaching, he's, you know, the good people, those people who should have been a neighbor, those that should have helped this poor, defenseless, beaten Jewish man, those who who were like him ethnically and religiously, they weren't his neighbors. They didn't stop and help and love the man. But the man who showed love The man who showed mercy and compassion, the one who cared for this poor beaten man, he was a Samaritan. He was an outsider in every way imaginable, and he was considered a dog in those times by the Jewish community. This is the one who shows up and is the neighbor. Jesus flips the whole conversation on its head. And so Jesus is is responding to the question, who is your neighbor? His answer is everyone. You don't get to pick. You don't get to choose who your neighbor is. That's what Jesus is responding to here. We love to draw lines. We love to classify people, put them in in boxes where they're safe and where they fit. You know, we love to decide who's worthy of our time. You know, who's worthy of my energy and my effort? Who's worthy of my mercy? Who's worthy of my gentleness or compassion or love? And it's based solely on how different or how alike they are from us. You know, if they're trying to hurt me or my family, I'm free to hate them, I'm free to, to work out ways to cut them down, to get after them, to get revenge, um, whether it's with my words or my actions, with my comments on social media. You know, I'm totally free to get back at them and make them pay for what they've done, or, what they pay, or make them pay for what I perceive them to do. But it's not just those who are actively trying to seek our harm that we do this with, it's, it's those that are different from us that we place in this enemy category. You know, it's those who aren't in my circles, um, those that think and act differently from me. You know, we do this politically, we do this racially, we do this socially, we do this theologically. Um, You know, if you don't look the same as I do, I can hate you. Um, If you don't have the same, uh, you know, thoughts that I do on these political issues and these policies, I can hate you. Um, if you don't act the same way that I do, if you don't have the same values, the same friends, you don't run in the same circles, I can hate you. If you don't have the same theological convictions that I do at this moment in time, or the same philosophy of ministry, I can hate you. You might be thinking, okay, like, hate's too strong of a word, Kyle. Like, I don't, I don't hate anybody. Um, but let me ask it this way. Who do you willingly ignore? Who do you isolate from? Who do you refuse to engage? Or who do you refuse to serve? Who do you refuse to think the best of? Um, Who do you want to see just really put in their place? Um, You know, think of it another way. Who are the people that, that make your skin crawl when you see them or you think about them? You know, who makes you sick to your stomach when you see them on social media? Who do you want to see, you know, beaten down and cut down to size? Who do you want to see put in their place you know who are the people that if they just went away life would be so much easier jesus invites us here to repent to heed his words to throw ourselves at the mercy of jesus and that lay ourselves at the foot of the cross for the ways that we refuse to hear his commands and to follow him here and then jesus moves on in verses 46 and 47 he asks two pairs of questions he says this if you love those who love you What reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing this? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? You know, those are like fighting words, Jesus. Like, we're kind of frustrated when we hear you say that to us. Um, The point Jesus is making to us is, you know, you think you're doing such a great job welcoming people, Um, such a great job loving and greeting your own people. You know, you think you're really a warm and a welcoming church, but do you just love and serve and talk to your own people? Jesus says, you know, do you know who else who does that? The tax collectors and the pagans. Those people that you look down on, those people that you consider inferior in every way, they do the same thing. Good for you, Jesus says. It's nothing to love those who are easy to love. It's nothing to love those who love you back, those who will return the favors for you. Who cares? Everyone does that, Jesus says. Even the groups that you hate, they all do that. Jesus presses in. How is that showing God's love and his grace? He reminds us here, you're a child of the king. The world isn't your standard for love. God himself is. And that leads us to our next question. What's Jesus calling us to here? or to think about it differently, how does God love? So how does God love? Jesus is calling his disciples, he's calling those that bear his name to live as children of their Father in heaven. In verse 44 and 45, he commands to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. Um, This doesn't mean that if you love well, It doesn't mean that if you can love your enemies out of your own resolve and out of your own strength, then you can somehow earn this new status as children of our Father in heaven. Jesus isn't saying that you can attain this new status as a child of God if you're really good. That's not what he's saying at all. Um, Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to his disciples. They're already in. Not by their goodness, but by God's grace and forgiveness and his call to them. Jesus is saying to us and to his people, demonstrate whose you are by the way that you love. He's saying, if God is your father, then you'll show that you are his child by the way that you love like him. And that includes loving your enemies. The love that Jesus is calling us to imitate here is God's unconditional love for us it's this active love of service, of compassion. It's pursuit. It's with great affection, and it's irrespective of the outcome. It's not, you know, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Um, It's this devoted care and service that's given indiscriminately. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're good or you're bad. It doesn't matter what you can offer. It doesn't matter if you're following God or you're spitting in his face. If you remember from about a month ago, our sermon on marriage and divorce love... Is defined by how our God loves us. And love is this rugged commitment to be with someone as one who's for that person's good and to love them unto God's formative purposes for them. If you look at the rest of verse 45, um, Jesus continues: God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God extends his kindness his benevolence, his compassion, um, his provision to everyone indiscriminately. He's pursuing the whole world's flourishing, whether they love him or they don't. And Jesus calls us as those who bear his name, who call God our Father, to show and to reflect his perfect love by loving our enemies. You know, it, it is true that, that when Jesus returns, he's going to bring judgment on those that do evil, on those that reject him. Um, that's coming in the future. But we, as his followers, we have no right to bring that future reality into the present. We don't know if that person's going to repent. We don't know what their, the status of their heart and their calling is. Our calling from Jesus here in this passage is to extend God's love and mercy And to pray for those who are even our enemies. We're to mirror our Father's love through active love, through active service and prayer, pursuing the flourishing of our enemies. You know, we're to be with them, we're to be for them, we're to strive alongside them uh, for them to become the sort of person that God has for them to be. How do we do that? How do we pursue the flourishing of our enemies? jesus says through loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you it's active it's present it's filled with prayer its actions and its words it's not disengaged it's not withdrawn it's not ignoring it's present engaged pursuit irrespective of the outcome irrespective of if they change right now or ever We're called to reflect the love that our Father has given us, not the way the world loves. We're called to love indiscriminately with great patience, with great mercy. And then Jesus tells us, he calls us to pray. You know, prayer for many of us, it's often just like this last resort or it's this thing that we don't really understand, so we don't think it really matters very much because God's in control and why even pray at all? But prayer... According to the scriptures, it's one of the most important, one of the most impactful things that we can do. And Jesus commands it here. It's not, you know, love your enemies and maybe think about praying them if you want to. It's imperative. It's pray for your enemies. Um, He commands it here. So we can't be flippant about it, we can't minimize it. But then Jesus doesn't tell us what to pray for, he just says, pray for your enemies. So what are some things that we can pray for? Well, one, we can pray that they would stop. (laughs) We could pray that they would stop their wickedness and their evil actions. You know, we could pray that if they don't know Jesus as their king and their savior, that they would have their hearts softened, that they would enter into a believing faith. We can also pray that they might experience flourishing in their relationships, flourishing in their heart, in their work, in their families, in every aspect of their lives. This is hard. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer helps us, though. um, He was a German pastor who was killed uh, by the Nazis in World War II. He says this. He says, this is the supreme command. Through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if we did that right now for Russia, for Putin? If we did it for that family member or that coworker or that person in your neighborhood or that kid at the lunch table who's just actively making your life miserable you know the truth is is that you can't genuinely pray for someone and not begin to have your heart soften towards them and have your affections grow for them when we pray for them our hatred dwindles our love and our compassion and our tenderness increase John Stott says this. He says, If our enemies call down disaster and catastrophe upon our heads, expressing in words their wish for our downfall, we must retaliate by calling down heaven's blessing upon them, declaring in words that we wish them nothing but good. Jesus calls us here to repay not evil with evil. We're not called to pursue vengeance, we're called to love. We're called to do them good, to pray for them, to go to God on their behalf. You know, earlier in, in Matthew chapter 5 in Jesus' sermon, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then comes this command to love your enemies. And then Jesus finishes the section saying, you know, your standard it isn't the scribes and the pharisees it's god himself and then he says these difficult words be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect jesus isn't saying that moral perfection can be attained in this life um we know that from the next chapter when he teaches us how to pray that brad preached on a few weeks ago um Jesus provides a way for us to continually seek forgiveness over and over again, knowing that we're not going to be like him until we see him face to face. You know, we don't earn entry into God's kingdom by keeping Jesus's standards, but we take our failures. We take them to God and we plead for mercy, especially when we see that our standard isn't ourselves, our standard isn't those around us, it's God himself. And if we do that... There's nothing left to do but to plead for mercy. So remember, Jesus is showing us what kingdom life is supposed to be like, what life in the family of God is actually like. Jesus' call for us to be perfect here is a call for us to completely obey God, to to reflect the fullness and the completeness and the wholeness of his love. He's calling us here to reflect the love our Father shows. We just read it in, in Luke. You know, be merciful as your father is merciful. If you, you know, if you spend any time um, around our family much, uh, you know that my four-year-old daughter Sawyer is a lot like me. Um, She looks just like me. If you, like, painted a beard on her face, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Um, But Sawyer loves to give hugs and kisses and to communicate value and significance to people through physical touch and affection. And if you hang out with me long, you know that I do that same thing. Um, she gets that from me. So as Sawyer mirrors her father's desire to communicate affection through physical touch, Jesus is calling us here to mirror our father's affection through loving the way that he does here. One commentator says it this way, the love that he commands is the love that he shows. So that forces us to our last question, how can we love like this? How are we supposed to do this? We have to see that we've been loved like God like this. Uh, Brad read earlier from Romans chapter 5 that says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So We have to remember and hold in balance that, that we don't love like God to become God's children. We love like God because we've been loved in this way. And so we love like him to demonstrate that this is what God's family looks like. This is what his love looks like. This is the love that I know. This is the love that I've experienced. This is the way that I've been loved by my Father in heaven. How dare I dishonor my Father by pretending that I haven't been loved this way? So we have to remember and rehearse the good news of the gospel every moment of every day. That we're God's children because of the sacrifice of Jesus jesus goes to the cross unjustly despite his perfection despite his never having done anything but honor his father in heaven and he's mocked and he's beaten and he's spit on and he's crucified and in those moments hanging from the cross gasping for air what does jesus do he prays for his enemies father forgive them for they know not what they do. He prays for those who are hurting him. He prays for you and me in those moments. He loves them to death. He pays for all of our sin, all of our lostness, all of our rebellion, all of our failures to love, all of our failures to to love and to pray for our enemies, everything that is wrong and broken in us, he pays for it. And when we come to him pleading nothing but his mercy, depending on nothing from ourselves, but wholly upon him for grace and mercy. He makes us his children, and he showers us with his love and with his righteousness, and he promises, I will never take this away from you because it didn't have anything to do with you in the first place. It is solely because of my love and my commitment and my faithfulness to you. So, if that's true, Jesus invites us to baffle the world by showing his Father's love for those around us, by showing his love, by showing and loving and praying for our enemies, by loving without distinction, um, when someone has nothing but harm to offer us, that we love them and we're for them and we pray for them because we've been loved like that. We need to remember the gospel day in and day out. Because the reality is, is if if we're not following Jesus in this way, if we are holding on to grudges tightly if we're rehearsing the ways that we've been wronged and we're rehearsing the ways that we want to cut people down to size and we're replaying all of the hurts and all of the pain and we can't let go and we just we can't even stomach to look at the person the reality is is we've forgotten the gospel we've forgotten the good news that Jesus loves us that he sent his father or that his father sent him to die for us when we were his enemies. But he loves us to life and refuses to give up on us and refuses to let us go. His love brings life. It brings freedom. It brings transformation and healing and change. Frederick beekner says this, love for the enemy, love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain, The tortured's love for the torturer, this is God's love, and it conquers the world. We'll never be able to do this on our own. Never. It can't happen. It's only when we experience, it's only when we know and take in and are transformed by God's love, when his enemy love conquers us it transforms our lives and our hearts, and we begin to give ourselves away. It's only then when we will, that we'll be able to mirror, sorry, it's only then that we can begin to mirror our Heavenly Father and demonstrate His enemy love for us and His making us His children that will reflect Him as our Father. Please pray with me. Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace to us we thank you that while we were still your enemies you didn't quit on us you didn't turn your back on us you didn't turn and run away from us you didn't smash us and condemn us to hell which we deserve jesus came to love and to die for us father help us we're inadequate we can't do it it's too hard but you give us the strength, you fill our hearts with your love, and out of that, out of the overflow of the grace that we've received, help us to love and to pray for our enemies, to remember the promises that are ours in the gospel, that we might reflect you in every way that you are made, and that you love us. Father, it's in your kindness and mercy that we come. In Jesus' name, amen.